Hello everyone, my name is Frank Islas and I am going to be doing an analysis of Confessions by St. Augustine. I have yet to read the book, so you guys are going to be with me on this journey. And how I'm kind of going to do this is I'm going to read each passage and if there's something interesting that I want to take out of it or try to analyze what St. Augustine's saying, I'll stop and talk about it. And also any ideas that kind of spark to my mind, I'm going to elaborate on those. So first, I just want to give an introduction and overview. So the first thing we need to know is who was St. Augustine? So St. Augustine of Hippo, known as the great doctor of the Latin church. I think the doctor was more of like how it's like a PhD kind of doctor versus actually being a real doctor. But I could be wrong. I didn't look into that. But he was born on November 13th in 354 AD at the Gaste. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I couldn't find a proper pronunciation. And that is in North Africa. The Gaste, that town does not exist, but it's a town that was in present-day Algeria. So Augustine, he was born to a pagan father and a Christian mother, but he was brought up Christian, so the mother won that battle. And then at the age of 16, Augustine went to Carthage to finish his education for the law. And in 375 AD, at the age of 21, he read Cicero's Hortensius, Hortensius, one of those proper pronunciations, I'm not sure. And then that made him deeply interested in philosophy. But he's always kind of been this kind of kid who was always trying to figure out the origins of the world and, you know, the meaning of life, all that kind of things that stirs about. I don't know if you guys had that too, but I know for me, especially now, but even at an early age, I've always heard that and dove into it. But before he dove into philosophy, at the age of 18, he converted to the Manichaean religion. And he allied with them. During Augustine's time, there were groups of Manichaeans throughout the Roman world, and especially in North Africa. And this, this religion and this group is so fascinating. I'm going to elaborate a little bit, just because I, I want you guys to know about them. But I can do a whole lecture series just on them and their founder. They're both just interesting, compelling. But pretty much, um, it was a prescribed set, sect, and they were obliged to practice the religion in secret. Manichaeans do not entirely reject Christianity, they find it partially true. The founder, whose name was Manny, supplemented by borrowing from other religions and adding his own theories. Manny believed the teachings of Buddha, Zoroaster, and Jesus were incomplete and that his revelations were for the entire world, calling his teachings the religion of light. He began to receive these divine revelations at the age of 12. I don't know about you, but at the age of 12 I was not receiving divine revelations. I did receive Pokemon Yellow version though, and that was pretty rad. And he didn't again receive these revelations until 24, so another 12 years. And both of these numbers are interesting. In numerology, these numbers are very significant. And even in the Bible, you can see, you know, there's 12 disciples, there's the 12 tribes of Israel, and there's a lot of other examples in that are all over, you know, Judaism and Christianity, and I think other religions as well. The number 12 is being a very significant number, so it's kind of odd that that ended up happening. Anyways, um, he, like I said, he's a fascinating character. He, but I don't want to get on a tangent, but he was eventually crucified in Persia in 277 AD, which I found to be kind of interesting and odd because he did, he found himself to not only be an apostle of Jesus, but he claimed to be the reincarnation of Buddha, Lord Krishna, Zoroaster, and Jesus. So of course Jesus was crucified and, and was crucified. And the whole idea of crucifixion and Manichaeism is a complex subject, but like I said, I don't want to get on a tangent. 
And many think that he claimed to be the reincarnation of all these different religious figures because he really wanted to have this religion be the religion kind of for the whole world and bring them all together. And this religion spread rapidly both during Manny's time and even after his lifetime. So basically the fundamental doctrine of Manichaeism, just because I really want you guys to know about this, is that there, in the beginning there were two independent principles described as good and evil, or light and darkness. The evil power invaded the kingdom of the good power, and in part it captured it. Therefore the two became mixed. Matter is therefore composed partly of good and partly of evil, both being present in a given substance in a greater or smaller degree. And this is kind of shown in the Bible as well in Genesis because you know when Adam and Eve ate the apple, I'm pretty sure there's somewhere in Genesis that God says that the evil is in the heart in the heart of every human beings, but then also this divine the Holy Spirit with them. So there is a good and evil in there. But I gotta look into that a little more. But anyways, Manichaeism was a type of Gnosticism. It was a dualistic religion that offered salvation through special knowledge or gnosis of spiritual truth. Manichaeism taught that life in this world is unbearably painful and radically evil. Inner illumination or gnosis reveals that the soul which shares in the nature of God has fallen into the evil world of matter and must be saved by the means of spirit or intelligence. To know oneself is to recover one's true self, which was previously clouded by ignorance and lack of self-consciousness because of its mingling with the body and with matter. In Manichaeism, to know oneself is to see one's soul as sharing in the very nature of God and as coming from a transcendent world. Knowledge enables a person to realize that, despite his abject present condition in the material world, he does not cease to remain united to the transcendent world by eternal imminent bonds with it. Thus, knowledge is the only way to salvation, hence why this was possibly so attractive to someone like Augustine, who was a natural intellect and scholar. And also, it's fascinating because this is kind of what Carl Jung kind of dove in about knowing the self, and he was big into Gnosticism as well, so maybe he pulled a lot from these ideas. But once again, I don't want to go too off track. Um, but the essential theme of, Manichaean, of the Manichaean myth is that the soul is fallen and became entangled with evil matter. And then it will be liberated by spirit or noose, which is the mind or intellect. This unfolds in three stages. A past period in which there was a separation of the two radically opposed substances, spirit and matter, good and evil, light and darkness. So this was like in the beginning of time, the two were separated. And then the middle time, which is the present time, the two opposing substances are mixed, and then they're in a constant struggle. Which again, Carl Jung kind of mentioned this, that there's two opposing forces that are constantly in a struggle, and that the human being, the ego, or the self has to kind of blend them and bring them into a union. But back to Manichaeism, the future period is to believe to be a time when the original duality is reestablished, meaning good and evil would not be mixed. Which is kind of also like the Bible in the end times when Jesus pulls his believers up and good is away from evil and then eventually evil will be completely destroyed if I'm remembering revelations correctly but pretty much um, also just some fun facts um, the, so, um, the Manichaeans were vegetarians because they believed light was, in present, was present in greater quantities in vegetable matter and that few traces of the light element were present in the flesh they really were against the flesh therefore it was not good for a Manichae to eat meat unless they wanted to be enveloped in evil. So Jordan Peterson clearly doesn't believe in this unless he really wants to be evil because he's on that all-meat diet, so possibly he's turning into Dr. Evil. Shout out to Austin Powers. 
But the light particles, they said, were freed from imprisonment when the elect, or the higher order of the Manichaeans, ate the vegetable matter. So pretty much if they ate vegetables and things, then that light particles were freed and they were allowed to like live through and be no longer chained down by evil and flesh. And But it was wrong for a member of the sect to cut down a tree or even pluck a fruit or commit any other act of violence harmful to the good elements and plants. And they got around this by claiming that these operations were to be performed by the wicked on behalf of the Manichaeans, that is, by those who were considered lost souls and belonged to neither the higher nor the lower order of the sect. So just anybody not part of the Manichaeans could pick the fruit and feed it to them, but they couldn't do it themselves. So if no one was around to pick a fruit, then the Manichaeans would possibly starve. They lived kind of a, an ascetic lifestyle. Um, the elect were supposed to be particularly scrupulous and to avoid either doing violence to the good elements or taking any action which might assist the powers of darkness. They were forbidden to marry because the act of procreation was construed as collusion with these powers. For the lower order of the set called hearers or aspirants, the rules were less strict, but they were expected to serve the elect and to give food to no one but them, since to do so would be to deliver the good elements into the hands of the devil. So they couldn't really give food to people in need, it seems, unless they decided to be a part of the Manichaeans. Um, at the death of the soul, the righteous person returns to paradise, which is heaven, and the soul of the person who persisted in things of the flesh, whether that be fornication, procre procreation, possessions, harvesting, eating of meat, drinking of wine, is condemned to rebirth in a succession of bodies. So it's kind of interesting because they don't really believe in hell. and they incorporate, once again, the Eastern religious beliefs in regards to reincarnation, but they also keep the idea of heaven. So another kind of idea of how Manny blended the religions into one. But they have so many interesting ideas that I guess span for a while, but let's get back on track. Um, in regards to St. Augustine and his time in the sect, he never rose to a higher degree than that of an aspirant, but he remained with the sect for nearly 10 years. He founded his own school of rhetoric at Rome in 383 AD at the age of 29. At Milan, he was offered a professorship and came under the influence of Neoplatonism and of the preaching of St. Ambrose. Um, Neoplatonism, I don't want to get into that, but uh, it aided in Augustine's conception toward the spiritual nature of God, which troubled Augustine in his youth. So it really worked as like a stepping stone, and also St. Ambrose who he really looked up to. He was a bishop of Milan at the time of Augustine's conversion, and it is commonly understood in the Christian tradition that Ambrose baptized Augustine. After agonizing inner conflict, he renounced all his unorthodox beliefs and was baptized in 387 AD at the age of 33, which again, um, numerology and things like the Freemasons, and there's always the 33rd Mason, and that's like another powerful number but let's stay on track. Um, Augustine said he lived a life of sin even though he was intellectually convinced of the Christian truth. He was prevented from accepting the faith by weakness and dealing with sexual temptation. So the man could not handle no fat November. And I wonder how he would fare in the modern age of online pornography. And I know probably Rome at the time was extremely pagan and sexual, so maybe it was kind of similar. Um, I know that that's one of my hardest things to deal with. I'm sure many men, that's like our hardest thing to deal with is, you know, the sexual temptation, that lust. But anyways, um, Augustine, he returned to Africa and formed his own community. In 391 AD, at the age of 37 years old, he was ordained priest against his own wishes. They said, you are now the priest, no questions asked. And he was like, what, why? And they're like, well, you got to be, I'm sorry. 
Um, I'm not really sure why he was against his own wishes, but he accepted it. And then five years later, 42 years of age, he was chosen Bishop of Hippo. Hence why St. Augustine of Hippo. And he lived in his community with his cathedral clergy for 34 years. And during this time of his, at his community, he had just a tremendous output. His surviving works alone, so there possibly could be many, many more books, but just his surviving works from all those years ago, you know, in the 480s, so what is that, 1600 years plus? Um, there's 113 books and treatises, treaties, treatises, hopefully I'm saying that right, and then over 200 letters and more than 500 sermons. And then he died on August 28th and 430 AD at the age of 76 years as the invading Vandals were besieging Hippo. You know, because the Vandals first took over Rome, and he actually has a good book too that I want to read called like The City of God, and he kind of analyzes and is there when Rome is getting sacked by the Vandals. And they eventually besieged Hippo too, because I think that's part of the Roman Empire. Confessions was written in his 40s, and it recounts how slowly and painfully he came to turn away from his youth ideas and licentious lifestyle of being a naughty boyo to become a staunch advocate of Christianity and one of its most influential thinkers. When he wrote the Confessions, he already had a reputation for sanctity, and one of the reasons why he wrote Confessions was to persuade his admirers that any good qualities he had were his by the grace of God, who saved him so often from himself. Reason and intellect leading him to temptation as they allowed for him to reason his vices. And I've always had the saying where it's like, for the more intelligent you are, the more adept you are at rationalizing even your most idiotic or heinous deeds. I think that's very true. A lot of times rash, our rationality can trick us into believing like, okay, things, we can kind of rational, rationalize anything, which is kind of the problem with, it, with rationality. It's great and reason is great, but it's, it can be deceptive and we can use it to our advantage to kind of free ourselves. And this is what's something that St. Augustine did over and over again was always using his, because he was very intelligent and reasonable and he could always rationalize and reason all his sins. Um, so, like he had a ready excuse for doing what his conscience told him to be wrong, which you know I do, and I'm sure you all do who, is, who are listening. Like we go against our conscience, which is already kind of odd, but then we kind of justi we justify our actions and to try to remove that guilt, whatever it may be. We know it's wrong and we say, oh, well, you know, the reason I did this was because this and this or like, and then you kind of say, okay, and it kind of helps, but doesn't really, you know you still were in the wrong, which is also odd. Um, but yeah, as a young boyo, he became curious about the world and its origin like many of us do, especially those who are more prone to the ideas of philosophy. So he began to search for truth, and instead of turning to God in simple faith, he accepted the theories by which the Manichees explained away these problems. Like many who are intellectually and rationally minded, it is extremely challenging to just accept something as blind faith and want reasons and answers, which is why many, I included, turn away from God only to find a way back after some searching. I cannot speak for you, but I know that I can relate to Augustine in regards to this. And Augustine goes on as he received, during his like catechism, he had received some instruction on Christian beliefs, but he had no idea what Christians actually believed. And I've noticed that too, that many Christians and churchgoers, whether it be my family, friends, or when I was a part of the church, like they had no idea what the scriptures actually said. And many of them had never even read the Bible. They were just getting told what the preacher said and blindly were accepting the faith. And when I asked, why do you believe in this? They said, well, it's just, you know, it's just, I, I was raised in it. I just kind of believe in it. They never questioned it. And that was maddening to me. It made me turn, turn away from the church in a way because 
I saw them to be like fools that are just blindly believing. And I didn't want to be with them because I was like, I need to separate myself from this. And this is just all it is, just people who are just blindly believing a book that they have never even opened. But um, yeah, so Augustine kind of the similar situation. I'm not sure if you guys had experienced this as well, or hopefully you guys have read the Bible. I mean, I still want to dive back in and read it once again, because I read it just kind of a skim, skimmed it, not actually dove into it in depth. I read it like young and I was just kind of arrogant reading through it to see what was like true and try to pick things out. But I want to go back into it. And that's why I started reading St. Augustine, because I find myself going right back to kind of the Christian faith in God. But anyways, I'll get back onto this. Um, so in Augustine's idea the Bible was as literature compared poorly with the polished prose of Cicero and he thought them fit only for the simple minded he was too conceited to study them and his reason could not accept the discrepancies and contradictions which he originally thought they contained he could not account for the presence of evil in a world created by God who was good which is also what Carl Jung says about Christianity and says that it fails at that it's missing the other half the evil and nor could he understand that God is a spiritual being. And this is why, like during this perplexity of his, why he turned to the Manichees, because they offered both of these and they had reasoning behind it. So they gave him the reason for evil. They had the two, they had a duality. And they kind of explained further why God is a spiritual being. And also it gave him problems as well. Uh, it gave him answers to these problems as well as a system of morals which permitted the blame for sin to be cast elsewhere than on the sinner. And these dangers of beliefs were still very present to St. Augustine when he wrote the Confessions, for it was only 10 to 12 years since he had escaped from them himself. But he wanted to kind of fire back at them, I think because he probably struggled to wrestle with these ideas because he was such a believer in them. He started to fall out during that time, but he just stayed with it. But in order to fully just get away from that, he wrote five books, at least five surviving works against the Manichees. And he believed that the Manichees were wrong and that only the mercy of God had saved him from his evil. And this is interesting because we alone are too limited and not strong enough to overcome evil. As human beings, we succumb to evil, for it is too tempting already in our hearts, as it says in the Bible. And only by the grace of God are we saved from evil and saved from ourselves. Possibly we struggle and struggle and struggle against evil, trying to overcome it. But once we realize we will fail and give this struggle to God and look towards something greater to pull us up, in a sense, we can then be saved? I don't know. And then, like... We'll be tempted, but perhaps we can overcome with God. But if we try to do it ourselves, it won't happen. And I kind of had this happen before. And I don't know if you guys have had this too, but there are like numerous times where I'm struggling once again with what Augustine has with sexual sin, you know, lust. And I get this sudden urge, you know, these desires from the unconscious that Jung says, and they kind of grip you. And I have this urge to look at pornography and masturbate. And then I kind of look to God, I pray to God and Jesus and ask for him to remove the thought. And then after a minute or so, the urge is suddenly gone. And I'm sure, if, like I said, I don't know if you guys had this, but it's quite remarkable. It's like the sword of Jesus arrives in my personal unconscious and slays that she wolf of lust, or at least scares her away until she decides to reemerge and try to devour me in a time of weakness. But this has happened to me. Also, it's happened when I've gotten upset on the highway, you know, and someone's driving like a lunatic and I begin to think of these horrible thoughts. And I have to... I have to stop it because that daemon that's inside, that unconscious has grown to a monstrous size. And then I'm just like trying to get back to my senses and ask Christ to like remove those thoughts and calm me down. Like calm me down. This is just, I'm thinking outrageously, just this person pissed me off or whatever. It's not going to ruin my day. And maybe someone just won't really credit to Christ, but still it's quite remarkable that it can shift your mood completely. And so maybe through Christ and through God, he, there's something happening 
outside of ourselves that we're not truly aware of that's actually pulling us away from that. Who knows? But it's this is something that Augustine's trying to well discover it and hopefully I'm discovering it throughout this book and I've noticed when he mentioned this. Um, Augustine thought that evil resulted from man's misuse of free will. And commentators are content to say about the book Confessions that the first nine books of Confessions describe St. Augustine's search for the truth, while the last three contain his thoughts upon its meaning after he had found it. So, uh, like I said, I haven't read it yet, so we're going to dive in and see if that is true. And, you know, everyone has interpret interprets things differently. I don't think that's really that big of a deal to know what books result of what, just as long as the books have an impact on you. Um, in Confessions, uh, Augustine, so this kind of goes like, there's kind of three stages of confessions, which again, three is another very significant number. But anyways, in confessions, in the first stage, Augustine is led from confession of sin to the confession of faith, and finally to confession of God's glory. And what that means, I'm not too sure yet, but it is kind of, it's kind of interesting to think about because there's some kind of power in confessing our sins, why confessing in the Catholic Church was so great. It's like releasing that guilt. And there's an idea of the scapegoat by Rene Girard that also has kind of that do with, that kind of is similar in regards to displacing our sin onto something else. And why, if you think about the sacrifice of Jesus, we're displacing all our sin. He said, cast your sins on Jesus. He dies for all our sins. So it's like confessing our sins to someone and they're being taken all that guilt from us. and sacrificing themselves by being punished for that sin because if we don't have it and we displace it it kind of it's bubbles up and starts building itself into the unconscious and becoming this monstrous thing which could be happening now i think more than ever because even though we're allowing our sin to kind of run rampant at the same time it's like everyone tries to put on this persona and mask of being these kind of perfect individuals especially with social media and maybe that is something that we're missing i don't know but maybe those are the stages that's actually needed in order to, to get to God. Is like you have to confess your sins in order to free yourself and confess to faith. To say, okay, here's my sins. Okay, I have faith that you're going to take away my sins. You're going to help me. You're going to heal me. That there's a God that's looking out for me. That can remove me and still redeem me even though I am a sinful creature. And then once you see that, okay, now that I gave my faith and things are actually happening. And faith is actually something that's extremely powerful then you see God's glory and you have to confess his glory. So maybe those are the three stages that are needed. I'm not sure if any of you guys have done that. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to try it, I'm going to see, because I feel like a lot of times we don't want to confess our sins. We want to hide those parts. We bury them down until they go in their shadow. And rarely do we have true faith in God. We, we try to take all, all the matters into our hands. And there's a, there's a balance. You can't just pray and do nothing and just have faith that something's going to happen without taking action, but it's to take action and take steps with God. Say, okay, I'm going to take this action to have faith that this is going to happen. I mean, it's a balancing act. It's really got, you got to know yourself. You have to dig in. I think that's something the Manichaean religion discusses and also the Bible, but they don't really emphasize it as much on the church as I don't think. And what Yukar Young talks about is really diving into the self and truly knowing yourself and being able to uncover that. But I'll go probably more into that when St. Augustine is discussing that. So then once you have that faith in God and know your right compass and know to listen to your conscience and realize that things are actually happening for you, that someone's looking out for you and that God cares about you, then you can declare his glory because 
you, you're seeing it for yourself. You're having it happen in your life. Anyways, thank you for being with me and allowing me, because I might have gone on tangents, but thank you once again. I hope you enjoy this. The next podcast, I'm going to start diving in actually into the book, and I'm going to start with paragraph one and just read out what St. Augustine's saying, and like I said, going to analyze it myself and just talk about thoughts that pop in my head. It's not going to be the most formal thing, but I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy the dialogue. Anyways, thank you for listening. Once again, I'm Frank Eastlus, and this is Confessions by St. Augustine, and we just did an introduction and brief overview of what the book is going to be about. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Bye.